This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 137, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, January the 15th. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 137, the Comic Reviews episode for the comics released Wednesday, January the 15th. I am your host, Adam Chapman. Welcome to the show. So, on uh, Comic Shenanigans, we look at, uh, oh, at least on the odd-numbered episodes thus far, we've looked at uh, the week's past comics, uh, what was good, what was bad. I usually like to do a little bit of a run-through based on uh, just what my feelings were on a book. Also, based on, I'll give a, a brief overview of what was actually happening in the issue, so that if you didn't have a chance to pick it up, we can at least uh, a little bit take a little bit of a look at uh, at what you missed, uh, so that you can kind of keep apprised of what's going on in the comics. So, the first book that I'm going to be taking a look at this week is none other than Old New X-Men number 21. Uh, I feel like we're just kind of uh, treading water with this book. I feel like we got out of Battle of the Atom. We have a major status quo shift for the team as the uh, the classic X-Men are now hanging out with Cyclops' group. Um, but we're not really seeing a lot of their interactions with the Cyclops' group or as much as it, we might have expected. Um, so moving forward, we're kind of seeing... We're getting to a place where we're going to have a crossover with Gardens of the Galaxy and we're having the trial of Jean Grey. But it feels like we're just kind of spinning our wheels to get there. Um, so we had this storyline where they brought back uh, X-23, which, I mean, to be honest, I didn't feel like I needed her to be back in the X-Books. I kind of liked that she had broken away and was in an Avengers-related book in Avengers Arena. Uh, now she's back. I still have my some issues with how she got out of that and how no one seemed to really know where she was afterwards, as opposed to everyone else who, after uh, Avengers Arena wrapped up. Uh, this issue is written by Brian Michael Bendis with artwork by Brandon Peterson and Israel Silva on the present day artwork. And then there's a, a flashback uh, component, which is done by Brent Anderson with James Campbell, which uh, is actually really fantastic. It looks very period. It definitely looks like it fits well within the original God Loves Man Kills storyline in terms of the artwork. So we have a bit of a flashback to the original William Stryker. Uh, the idea that there's something wrong with his son. AIM basically volunteers to help him out. And then we move back to the present day. And to be fair, this is kind of where I got lost because I really don't like the Brandon Peterson artwork. There's sometimes Peterson artwork is just way too static. Uh, it's, it's way too... Uh, it doesn't feel fluid. It doesn't feel there's a lot of motion. Uh, again, the characters look very static. At, at times, it's not really clear what exactly is happening. Even when he tries to use motion lines... Um, so you have Stryker's son that has now, uh, you know, uh, captured the X-Men. They're kind of trying to decide what to do with them. The X-Men are able to break free and, and take out Stryker. That's really all we have going on here, but they spend an entire issue doing it. And then the issue ends, and we're, we know the next issue leads into the trial of Jean Grey. That's something I'm looking forward to, but this issue just kind of, felt, kind of felt like it was a bit of a disappointment. Again, the artwork didn't help. Uh, I just found it was not very conducive to helping the story. I mean, it's not bad. It just I found myself bored. Um, I would probably give this about. I was going back and forth on maybe giving it a six, maybe a five, five and a half. If I was to be honest, like I think the artwork could probably be around a two point five to a three, maybe no two point five. The story maybe a three. So I'm I'm looking at like a I guess a five point five would be a a fair kind of example of a rating I would give it. Um. Moving on from there, our next book is Batman. Sorry, Batgirl, twenty-seven. Um, my problem with this book is that if you had not read Detective Comics twenty-seven, 
there is no real like if Marvel did this, they would have a recap page explaining what's going on in the greater Marvel universe to kind of give you a sense of what's going on, what you missed, so that even though like for example, House of M is a great example of this. Uh, Captain America, I believe number ten, and a bunch of other books, they had one issue which was part of the House of M crossover. Uh, it wasn't part of anything else. It was just a, a House of N crossover. So if you're reading, in fact, if you read all the trades of Brubaker's work in Captain America, it always leaves out that one issue. So at the beginning of that issue, it gave you a recap. This is what's happened to the world. This is the world that we live in now. And then it gave you a story of Captain America set in House of M. Um, you have this Gothtopia storyline that just started last week in Detective Comics, and yet there is no real mention of what's going on. So you kind of get an idea that something isn't quite right, but really... This is horrible planning. Who does a storyline like this, which basically, I mean, it's kind of, it's weird to have a Batman storyline that kind of feels like an ink that the world is something other than what it is. And it's fine that you want to do a story like that. Cool. Could be really cool potential. But you can't make a story like that and yet throw the reader in, expecting them to kind of do all the work for you, not explain it at all. Say, oh yeah, you should read this $8 book, but you're not actually explaining what the hell's going on in the story. I think that's a giant misstep. This issue actually was pretty good. I enjoyed it. I've actually, I'm looking at all the ratings I've given most of the books this week, and it's probably one of the higher books in terms of the ratings, but I was just really thrown off. Now, this isn't Gail Simone's fault. This is really an editing issue. This is this should have been handled by someone else. It's not in any way Gail Simone's fault, because she told a really solid, enjoyable story. I said in this crossover, she's taking, using the, you know, using it for good effect. It just, I wish that they'd done a better job of it. Um, it's written, as I said, by Gil Simone. I work by Robert Gill, who I don't even really know as an artist, but he does a fairly good job. Um, it's basically Barbara wakes up, everything's happy, she's happy, Gordon's happy, she's Bluebell, uh, instead of being Batgirl, um, you know, she, she's dressed clad in white, she's this, you know, this crusading vigilante, but in the, in a place where there's not a lot of crime in Gotham, uh, suddenly there's a rash of deaths, and this, it would appear that ice cream has poisoned them. She goes to the ice cream factory to try and stop what's going on, and then just as she gets there, she sees a picture of a clown, starts to realize what's going on, and that the world isn't the way it, it should be, and then the, uh, the would-be a, a killer of children gets assassinated through the chest. Um, I mean, that's a lot of what happens. I mean, the issue... Theoretically, it doesn't have a lot of movement. It's a lot of quicker moments and not a lot of plot. But when the plot's there, it is quite interesting. I enjoyed it quite a lot. I gave it an 8. It was a very solid, solid issue uh, in a week where there actually, to be honest, wasn't a lot of stuff I enjoyed that much. Um, So this was a pleasant surprise. I like the cover, too. I mean, it's really cool. Again, I wish that there was some sort of mention of Gothopia. Uh, considering that this is a crossover, but it's not like even on the cover, like you have that little Gothtopia thing, but really, like there's no real explanation of what the hell that means. Uh, you should be able to pick up an issue of this book without reading Detective Comics 27 and know exactly what's going on. Like, what is wrong with the world? That's all you need to know. All you needed was one recap page or even a couple editors' notes, and we didn't get that, and that's freaking stupid. Um, it really bothered me. Uh, next up is Daredevil 35 absolutely love this. This is fantastic. Obviously, it's ending in, the, I believe, the next issue is the last issue before he gets relaunched with the exact same creative team, same title, but suddenly he goes um, and moves to San Francisco. So this is written by Mark Wade, artwork by Chris Samney, who is just, like, a fantastic penciler. There's just, I mean, the colors and by, um, 
let's say Javier Rodriguez are fantastic. Um, just the the way in which the story is told, it's such crisp, clean artwork. Um, it's at times cartoonish artwork, but also it's got so much, so many more layers to it than that. Um, issue starts with uh, Matt showing up at Fog, basically because he's you know he's worried about Foggy, he doesn't hear his heartbeat, he's so worried about him. Um, and then when he kind of gets there, you know Foggy's still alive, but barely, and he gets confronted by this doctor who's basically you know. I'm not working on the up and up because these um, these two men are basically trying to convince uh, Murdoch to work for them, and they're working for the, the the serpent group that's been causing trouble recently. And they they basically have convinced or drugged Foggy so to get all this dirt on Murdoch to get him to work for them, um, and to exonerate one of the guy's uh, sons who. I mean, they, they did blow up this building. Uh, there was arson, but not the per- the person who got caught is not the right person. And he's trying to exonerate him, but he can't come forward with the actual information because then his own people will go to jail and that would violate their own brotherhood. So it's kind of an interesting quandary. Daredevil's trying to figure out what to do, so he meets up with Electra to try to get her sense of what the decision should be. They fight uh, Constrictor and, I guess, Black Mamba, I believe her name was. Um... And he's trying to kind of come to a decision. And there's some really good banter between the two of them I really like as well. Um, the idea that Electra knows that there's definitely something different with how Matt acts these days. Matt's trying to get a, an assessment on what he should do by asking Electra, which is interesting. Uh, him and Kirsten come up with an idea. So he goes into into uh, court, recuses himself, get, appoints um, Kirsten the, the lead chair. She calls him to the stand. She asks him to state his name for the record. And he says, absolutely my name is Daredevil, to be concluded. So it was a strong, tight issue, very, um, you know, great characterization. I'm really interested to see where it goes because this is a pretty good cliffhanger. Um, does he give up you know, the idea of his identity? Does he give up his job, his career, everything? Uh, and is that why he moves to San Francisco? I'm interested to see where the, why the move for San Francisco is going to be happening. Um, Mark Wade's definitely got my attention, and as I said, I gave this a 9 out of 10. Extremely well done. Uh, next up is Fantastic Four 16. I don't think I read this in like the last four or five issues. Uh, it's got, let's see, story by Matt Fraction and Carl Kessel, script by Carl Kessel, and then it's got artwork by Raphael Ienko, who I don't think I've ever heard of before. Um, so we're in this... I've obviously missed a lot. So you've got this Doom the Annihilating Conqueror. Um, I guess the idea, the whole kind of core concept for what, why the, the team went into space and, and all, having all these ventures in the first place is kind of going to come home to roost. We find out uh, where, like, why their powers were kind of going crazy in the first place. They have to go up against this version of Doctor Doom. Um, you got two versions of the FF trying to figure out how to take them down. Um, at the end, you also have... Um, uh, the old John, who's been in the FF book, um, closing up a loop of causality, basically. Then you have the ending, just having a, a bunch of pages where you have characters kind of coming together from the FF book and the Fantastic Four book, um, and then it is all over. Uh, I didn't like this. I gave it a five out of ten. I thought this, the plotting was sloppy. I didn't the the action really wasn't that well illustrated. At times, it wasn't really clear what was happening uh, or who was who. Um, I didn't find the characterization that strong for really anyone. I thought it was it was just it, it didn't have a real good hook for me. Uh, I just found it very disappointing. Uh, the whole Uatu, I guess, finding love. I I obviously haven't read FF in a while, so that was totally confusing. Um, the Albert artwork at the end was nice, but really this just wasn't for me. 
Uh, I am looking forward to the next volume of Fantastic Four very much. I love Leonard Kirk on art. Uh, he was great on X-Factor. James Robinson, I can't wait to see what he does now that he's coming back to Marvel in a big way with two big books, uh, Fantastic Four and The Old New Invaders. So I'm interested to see where the team goes from here, but I gave this a 5 out of 10 because I just couldn't be bothered. Um, next up is Green Lantern Corps 27. Now, I hadn't been reading... Green Lantern Corps since I'm probably 21 or 22, so I've missed like four or five months. Although I think I read one issue where it had a zero-year tie-in, but I don't really count that because it wasn't like continuing the ongoing storyline. Uh, this is by Van Jensen and Robert Venditti with artwork by Bernard, Bernard Chang and Sean Chen. Um, it's interesting. I forgot that Sean Chen was even working on this, and to be honest, it didn't even really look like him. Um, yeah, yeah, it really doesn't look like Sean Chen artwork at all. Uh, so this issue, I, I gave it a shot mainly because I read last week's Green Lantern, kind of liked it. I was interested to see where it would go, maybe. Um, I do think there's a lot of interesting ideas. There's a lot of stuff in here I don't care about as much, and it took a long time to get to the point. But, uh, I'm interested to see where this storyline's going with, uh, the Lanterns kind of besieged on all sides, uh, by, you know, this fatal alliance of Kunz and, um, uh, whatever, Chameleon, um, Durlins. So it's got some interesting stuff going on. It definitely feels like the stakes are high. But at the same time, it feels like sector houses are constantly being overrun in the, Marvel, in, sorry, in the DC universe. The lanterns are constantly under siege. They're constantly dying. Like It just feels like there's always, in order to have a big threat, it has to confront the entire core. And that just keeps happening over and over and over again to the point where I think I'm becoming desensitized to the idea of every threat being a, a core-wide threat. Uh, I gave it a, a six and a half because it did make me interested, um, and I'm interested to read the next issue, but it wasn't great. Uh, next up is uh, Inhumanity. Um, let's see, what was it? The full name? Inhumanity Spider-Man number one. Didn't care much for this. I'm going to be nice and give it a five. Um, artwork by uh, Stephanie Hans, and then you got Christos Gage writing. I like Gage, but I don't know. This didn't quite feel as strong as his other work with Spider-Man. The artwork was kind of cool because it had a, a, a different kind of almost painted look to it. And But then once you had this, this basically Spider-Man is conf trying to save people uh, during the aftermath of the explosion uh, that happened during Infinity to the uh, city of Adelan. Him and a first responder are uh, trying to save lives, including this guy who suddenly is all powerful trying to save his wife by you know, uh, stealing bioenergy from people around him. Um, I don't know, I just thought the story was a little far-fetched. The artwork did not do a good job of uh, being that uh, fluid again. I always really rag on fluidity of motion, but that's a huge thing. And I just found it didn't really work here. Um, I expected more, and I didn't really get it. Um, so I'm going to give it a, a 5 out of 10. I was kind of excited when the issue was over. I just It was a bit of a plod. Uh, it was hard to get through. Uh, next up is Justice League of America 11. I don't think I'd read the last two issues because I, I've read the last issue and a half, actually. Or, sorry, I have been an issue and a half without reading it because um, there was one issue I read and I was like, okay, Forever Evil tie-in, this could be good. And then I started reading the next issue and it felt like the same thing. Uh, and we're still kind of getting, a, again, a lot of the same thing happening. Uh, it's written by Matt Kint, artwork by Tom Derenick and Eddie Barrows. I do like Eddie Barrows a lot, so his artwork is great. And... Um, in, in, in a nice, uh, nice, pleasant surprise. Basically, you have Stargirl and Mercer Manter have escaped their prison. Now they're trying to kind of fight back. They fight against Clayface. Um, at one point, Stargirl looks, first of all, extremely ripped, much older than she should be. 
um, but good. Uh, Despero's kind of lurking in the in the shadows. Um, Stargirl's, you know, just wants to go kind of help her family, but she's also sticking around because she's too much of a hero not to, as she helps uh, Martian Manhunter, um, you know, trying to save people, uh, and also trying to figure out where the, um, where the heroes are being kept within Firestorm, and then at the end of the issues when Despero kind of shows up and, uh, really, you know, takes the fight to, um, to, uh, to them, and then at the end, and then it almost drowns Stargirl, and that's about it. I mean, the issue, there's not a lot of forward momentum in the plot. And at this point, I th- kind of think there needs to be. Because you had a few issues of them trying to escape this prison. Now they escaped the prison. And now it's Despero. And now it's Clayface. And it just get to the point already. This book is just treading in water. Um, I don't care about Martian Manhunter and Stargirl that much. I mean, having an issue to it for them was fine. But like, wh- when are they really going to start doing something? And I feel like they're just so reactive. And so it just takes so long to get to the point that I'm getting uninterested and bored by the storyline, which is not good. Um, the artwork, pretty good for the most part. Um, I'm, I'm going to give it a 6. I was thinking about a 6.5, but now that I've kind of read it again, I'm going to give it a 6. Uh, then next up is Nova number 12. Um, I continue to enjoy Nova more than I ever expected to. Um, this issue is by Dugan, Jerry Dugan, and the artwork is by Paco Medina, which is again a little bit more of a kid friend, like a kiddish style than previous uh, artists on the book, but I'm enjoying it. Um, you have Nova confronting this character who uh, is basically very proud of having a Nova helmet, but then he's not going to do anything to uh, Sam, and then Sam kind of has to make a decision on how he's, you know, what else is he going to do in the cosmos because he's not ready to go home yet. Uh, he finds a giant, basically, it looks like a giant Nova helmet. Uh, fighting off against these other uh, intruders, he kind of goes to uh, to assist, uh, and kind of find out that they're, you know, they they were drawing all their bat power on a, a kind of a, a dead corpseman, um, and he Sam Alexander kind of helps recharge them and give them some energy. He then goes home and kind of makes up with his mom a little. It then turns out that he actually was aiding pirates uh, and not the good guys in this scenario. And uh, the good guys who are turned away by Nova uh, have a bit of a protector in Beta Ray Bill. So, I mean, there's not, again, I like the carefree, fun nature of this book. Um, There's just something about the sensibility of how the character's written in the artwork that I'm able to forgive this book for being a little bit slow in some plot. I mean, you get some space stuff, but there's not... It almost feels too easy for Sam. I feel like there should be more hardships in terms of finding his way as a hero and actually being able to be successful. Uh, and and be confident um, but that being said I am enjoying that the journey that we are getting even though it's not the one I would have maybe expected to see I'm excited to see Beta Ray Bill versus Nova that could be really exciting um, so yeah I'm, I'm definitely interested in what comes next I give this a 7 a solid 7 uh, next up is Secret Avengers number 8 sorry number 14 my apologies uh, I continue to really like this book I'm sad that it's ending, but um, I'm going to read the next one. And it's by Alice Cott anyway, so it's how different is, is it going to be. Uh, so this is written by Nick Spencer and Alice Cott. Um, you have Butch Guys on Pencils, who is probably the best choice for this book. I mean, he has a great sensibility. Uh, here you have um, the you know the head of AIM basically trying to brainwash Mockingbird and really mess with her mind, which is interesting. At the same time, you have... Nick Fury, Black Widow, and Hawkeye being uh, transported and potentially about to be, you know, uh, executed, and they have to try and figure out a way to escape. 
Uh, all along, you have Mockingbird dealing with all these false memories that are in her head now. Uh, you also have Modoc dealing with Maria Hill, and I absolutely love the way the Modoc's been written here because it's not too ridiculous, but it just has the right amount of ridiculousness. Like Modoc enjoys ice cream. Do you have ice cream? And that's just a great line. Um, and uh, he's like, "Hill, I gave you a way to kill plenty of men and women who are opposed to your interests. Give me ice cream." Well, you can't really argue with that, can you? Uh, there's something going on with Metallo here, but I'm not really sure what. Um, and Metallo and Taskmaster. Anyways, I, I'm really digging this. The artwork's great. Uh, great sensibility. Uh, Butch Geist is a fantastic penciler. Uh, the story's quite strong. It continues to be, you know, enjoyable each and every issue. Secret Avengers is basically just, it should just be called S.H.I.E.L.D. And it's a great S.H.I.E.L.D. book. Uh, I give it an 8 out of 10. Next up is perhaps my most, um... The, the book I look forward to most this week, uh, which was Superior Spider-Man 25. Uh, it's the last part of the, um, what was it called? The Darkest Hours storyline uh, with the spy, with the Superior Venom. It was a little bit of a letdown. Uh, I thought it would just be a little bit different than what we got. Um, a lot of the issue is Superior Venom fighting the Avengers, which is cool. Um, I also like there's more development on the Roderick Kingsley front and him dealing with all of his franchises being pillaged, him trying to send his guys out to uh, steal more while the Avengers are uh, busy with Superior Venom. Uh, also, you have the Goblin Knight kind of, uh, you know, videotaping what's going on and finding weak points at uh, Spider Island. I really like this development. Development I didn't enjoy was the further development of the new character Monster, who's basically Carly Cooper as a. She he she looks like Marina, uh, the the Namor character, but really she's just like a weird goblinish character, but who's not quite a goblin. Um, so her and Menace are gonna go out in the town. I didn't much care for that, and I don't really like that as a development. Um, I do like Iron Man kind of getting involved in Superior Spider-Man's business now that he's back on Earth. Uh, so he kind of goes and helps Cardiac, and he's trying to help. Uh, Flash Thompson, so that he can get the Venom symbiote back. Although I like that he doesn't know who the hell he is, and Captain America obviously does, uh, which that part's cool. Um, I do like the idea that we're seeing everyone's kind of turning against Spider-Man, his uh, his surveillance because he's kind of become Big Brother, and they're kind of rebelling against that concept, which is really cool. Uh, again, menace and monster uh, take out some of the minions of um, of Hobgoblin. There's some great shots. I don't know why I love these shots, but there's some great shots that Humberto Ramos does of the Goblin Knights, the Filiero character, who when he's he's crouching on like on his glider on uh, under a bridge uh, on a rooftop, and there's just something about the way he illustrates him. I really like these panels. Uh, then he goes up against the new Ringer and basically kills him with the, the sword, and then that's how Roderick Kingsley knows that it's Filiero, and he knows that he's like this two cross two time, you know, uh, you know. Uh, backstabbing character uh you have uh, Otto continuing to, to try and maintain the symbiote and then he realizes that he can't actually control it and it actually is trying to control him he's trying to get it off and this is the kind of the big moment which I was actually a little let down by in some ways but um while he's trying to rip off the costume and separate himself from it and try to be strong the Peter Parker Spectre shows up again and Basically, is able to help him get free, 
And then uh, Agent Venom is able to be rebound with the symbiote. And then uh, Spider-Man basically comes up with a cover story saying, I've been acting weird for a while now because there was a little bit of Venom in me the entire time, not just in the last couple of days. Flash Thompson isn't so sure that's true, but they kind of go, they go with it. Um, over in the Goblin hideout, you have Roderick Kingsley trying to call out uh, Norman Osborn, or what we think is Norman Osborn, although there's no confirmations of which one it really is. And Green Goblin says, let the War of the Goblins begin. Um, you have uh, Mary Jane being released from police custody and taking off. She goes to see Peter, and she says, you know, I, I, th I believe that you're back. And again, it's convenient that the Venom symbiote is being used as a scapegoat, but at Avengers Tower... Tony Stark doesn't believe what's been going doesn't buy anything that Spider-Man said and but the rest of the Avengers are like well he passed all these tests Iron Man accesses all the test logs tries to find them they're not there they've deleted and he's able to figure out that Spider-Man is the one who deleted them so Steve says you know Steve Rogers says that does it time to bring Spider-Man in so we're seeing a little bit of development but it also feels like we're going back and forth with this you know everyone's convinced but then they're not um it was a good issue. There was a lot going on. You cannot uh, fault um, uh, Dan Slott for, for the amount of plot he gives you. I mean, he gives you a ton of plot. He makes it worth your money, more so than a lot of other uh, writers these days. Uh, I just, I, I, it just felt like it was lacking something. I'm not quite sure what that was, but I expected a little bit more. Bit more. Uh, maybe just the way that sort of certain things developed. Um, I really don't like the stuff with uh, Monster. I just, I really like Carly Cooper, and I don't really care for how they're going in act treating the character right now but i hope she gets to go back to normal and this is all over and done with um but i just that part feels extraneous to me uh next up is superman wonder woman uh this is uh, i don't think i read like i think two of these issues i or maybe i've never read any of them um i gave it a six and a half i mean it was all right i mean it wasn't the best comic i've ever read it's basically the idea of uh what is public perception of superman and wonder woman when they get together and everyone knows about it um, I, the issue kind of starts with, you know, I, I still don't even know what's going on. Zod's here, and then suddenly Zod's actually in prison, so he, he can get out whenever he wants to. Superman's kind of, not taunting him, but dealing with him. Zod is able to then escape, and he's go, he's fighting against Superman. And then we kind of get a, a back, Fiora escapes from the Phantom Zone, but it looks like she's got some crazy eyes, or maybe that's just an artistic choice. And then we have a story from earlier in the in the continuity of the comic, where Clark Kent goes to a party and finds out about what everyone else thinks about Superman and Wonder Woman being together. Um, the backup is by Charles Sule and Paolo Sequeira. Uh, then the main story is by Charles Sule and Tony S. Daniel. It's not it's not a bad comic, and there's some interesting concepts and ideas in terms of looking at what public reaction would be when these two godlike characters are together. Um, which is interesting, but I just felt like I did I need an entire issue based on this? Probably not. Uh, but it's it's interesting to get that angle. I just it went on too long. Uh, next up is Thunderbolts number twenty point now. I haven't read this in like I don't know like eight or nine issues. I f it feels like it's been a long time. Um, I don't know. I didn't really care. Uh, I gave it a five because I was being nice. Uh, the artwork's pretty good, but I just found the story really boring. Actually, the artwork is very good very clean, uh, very stylized, pops out the page nicely. I just found the story boring. Uh, the Thunderbolt's kind of having a new base now, and they're deciding on a new mission. Uh, the weird awkwardness between Frank Castle and Elektra, I still hate that pairing. Um, they just, uh, they decide to that they have to go up against this character Mercy, so they're going to need something mystical. So they get uh, Ghost Rider to kind of 
join up with them. I forgot that there is a connection, obviously, between Ghost Rider, uh, um, or I guess... See, actually, I don't know what the connection is, because I guess the, uh, Venom and the Red Hulk and a Ghost Rider, I think it was the girl Ghost Rider, were involved in a demonic storyline, but I don't remember Johnny Blaze being there, but I have very foggy memories of that comic to begin with. So it's kind of interesting that they know each other. But anyways, I gave this, uh, as I said, a 5 out of 10, mainly because I love the artwork. Uh, I did not find the story that engaging at all. And the last book that I'm taking a look at this week uh, is Uncanny X-Men, number 16. I was really torn about this after I read it the first time. Wasn't sure how I felt about it. I thought it was a little bit slow and plotting, but I liked where it got to by the end. Uh, it's written by my, Brian Michael Bendis, artwork by Chris Bacalo, or Bachelo. Um So you have Magneto basically going on a... On a, on a sojourn of his own, and I still don't like him being bald, but whatever. Although the, the goatee helps. Uh, he's with uh, Allison Blair. Um, he's kind of going, he goes to Majapur, gets involved in some tussles there, ends up discovering things that uh, the new kind of ruling class of Majapur ends up uh, hanging out with Blob. And I, I like seeing the interactions between Blob and Magneto, and even the uh, Sabretooth Magneto interaction was interesting as well. And finding out that the Dazzler that he's been talking to the entire time is actually uh, Mystique was cool. Um, kind of seeing where they're going with that. And uh, then Magneto kind of taking off on his own, not really wanting to be part of where they are. And he's going into his own book. It was alright. It Again, it was really strong by the end. I liked the interactions in Madripoor. I think it took a little long to get there. But for the most part, I enjoyed it. And I'm going to give it a 7. So that is this week's comics. Uh, next are the comics I didn't get a chance to talk about or, or read in different cases. Uh, include the following: uh, we had there was Amazing X Men number three. Really bummed I didn't have a chance to read it yet, but some such as the the break sometimes. Uh, Astro City number eight, Batman Little Gotham number ten, Cataclysm Ultimates number three, Coffin Hill number four, Constantine ten, DC versus Masters of the Universe four, Disney Kingdoms. Seekers of Weird, number one. Forever Evil Rogues Rebellion, four. Injustice Year Two, number one. Justice League 3000, number two. I, I got through maybe two or three pages and was like, I can't read this. Marvel Knights Hulk, number two. Miracle Man, number one. Night of Living Deadpool, number one. Nightwing 27. I started reading it. I just couldn't finish it. Not because I don't like it, but just I just didn't have time. Uh, Revolutionary War, Dark Angel, number one. Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, number 41. Suicide Squad, 27. Superboy, 27. Thor, God of Thunder, 17. Uncanny X-Force, 16. World's Finest, 19. I read a few ish few pages of this. The last few pages were good, but the rest of it looked like garbage. Um, Wolverine Max, 15. And X-Men Legacy, 22. Uh, uh, looking ahead to next week, uh, so that's comics that will be coming out on the 22nd. Uh, we have, uh, I think, the last issue of Animal Man, but I could be wrong. Uh, you have Batman number 27, continuing the Zero Year storyline. Uh, let's see, we've got Batwoman. you got another chapter of Gothopia, which is Birds of Prey 27. I'm sure they won't mention Gothopia or why they're there. Uh, Justice League 27, another Forever Evil tie-in. Uh, for those who like Planetary, there's the Planetary Omnibus coming out. You have Red Hood and the Outlaws 27, Supergirl 27, and Wonder Woman 27, among some others. Uh, from... Let's see. Uh, from Marvel Comics, you have a few new launches. You've got the all-new Invaders, number one, which I'm really pumped about. Uh, especially after reading the point one issue, I'm excited to see how um, the Kree factor in. Uh, I can't wait for all-new X-Factor, number two. I'm, I really like the first issue, so this should be great. All-new X-Men, 22 point now. 
did we just get an issue this week? Yeah, we did. Too bad we didn't need them back-to-back. Uh, Avengers 25, uh, again, another old new Marvel Now issue. Avengers World number 2, so that's two Hickman Avengers books. Uh, Black Widow 2, I really liked the first issue last week. I don't think we needed two issues in one month, but, I mean, it was a really good launch, so hopefully it'll continue to be entertaining. Uh, Cable and X-Force 19, Captain America 15, FF 16, that might be the last issue of that, but I'm not sure. A new issue of Hawkeye, which is always uh, well worth the wait. Indestructible Hulk 18.inh. Hopefully it's better than most of the INH books I've read. Uh, Iron Man 20.inh. Uh, Marvel Knights X-Men number 3. Mighty Avengers 5.inh. Origin 2 number 2. I'm interested in reading this, even though I wasn't a huge fan of the first issue. Uh, Superior Spider-Man Team-Up number 9. Uh, I, I am excited for this because it's another kind of team-up style where you got uh, Punisher, Daredevil, and Spider-Man together again, so that should be good. Uh, you have the X-Factor by Peter David, Volume 1, Complete Collection start. Kind of makes me wish I didn't have 21 volumes of the uh, of the book when I could have just had a few of these fat volumes. Uh, X-Men number 9 continues. Uh, you got a trade I'm really excited about, which is... Uh, uh, X-Men Trade Paperback uh, Road to Onslaught Volume 1 super pumped for this uh, it's reprinting everything that kind of from the minute uh, Age of Apocalypse ends so you got X-Men uh, sorry Uncanny X-Men 322 I think and X-Men Prime uh, it's going to eventually cover that period up until Onslaught so I'm really pumped for that uh, that line of uh, Trade Paperbacks to start going anyway so that is uh, the show for this week um Next episode will be, I guess, episode 138. Not really sure what it's going to be yet. Um, probably make that decision, I would guess, really soon. Uh, I feel like it's probably going to be a new flashback episode, only because uh, when I record this right now, it's uh, January 17th, which is Friday. A little bit earlier than I've been doing it, usually, uh, in the last little while, which is good. Uh, so I might be recording the uh, next even-numbered episode, so the episode will be going up around the, I don't know, I guess around the 23rd or 24th probably be recording that the next day or so depending on when I record it, if it's before solicitations for April or out for both Marvel and DC, I'll probably push that episode off to episode 140 uh, which means 138 might instead be a flashback episode looking at either Green Goblin or Spider-Man Gathering of Five. Uh, at one, at some point I hope to do a flashback episode that isn't so Marvel heavy, and maybe I'll, maybe that'll be the next one, but I have a feeling it probably won't be uh, if you have any emails that you want to send to me, please do so at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Uh, also, post in our HC Realms thread and rate and review us on iTunes, please. It is the way we can build a fan base for the show. If you know someone who likes comics and might be interested in listening to the show, please uh, let them know about us. Uh, we're just trying to grow the audience as much as we can. Anyways, thank you for listening to the episode. I really appreciate it. Again, I am Adam Chapman signing off, and we will see you next time. Bye bye.